Uh, my name is Jonathan Keenan, and um, I serve as the RUF campus minister at UCSB. And if you're new and you have no idea what RUF is, our denomination has a ministry um, to the university campus called Reformed University Fellowship, and we send ordained ministers to do um, the ministry of the gospel on a college campus. And I have the a wonderful privilege of serving at a place like UCSB. And uh, we've been here about four months, and uh, my wife and I and our two kids. And so I'm kind of filling in for Kyle Wells, who is um, our lead pastor here. He's away um, on, a, on a conference this weekend. So I have the wonderful privilege of, of opening up God's Word. If, if you are new, one, just want to extend a very warm welcome to you and this is a little bit self-serving, but I want to say welcome to my brother and sister-in-law and their three kids that are here all the way from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I was told that once we moved here, we would have visitors, and um, so far that has been the case. So um, if you get a chance, you hear some funny accents like mine, uh, they're probably from Alabama, and that's my, that's my family. So yes, praise the Lord, that's right. Um, but if you are new, uh, we've been in a series um, in 1 John, and um, we're going to kind of continue uh, this morning in that series. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the passage that was read in 1 John, and if you're unfamiliar with where 1 John is, it's kind of towards the end. So if you get to Revelation, just go back a few books and, and you'll see 1 John I don't know if you're familiar with the new hit show on, on NBC, This Is Us. Um, it's kind of become a new favorite in our house. The, the other night, there was, this, there was this scene that kind of opened up the show where, if you're unfamiliar with the show, it's just about a family, um, husband and wife, and they, it's about their three, their three kids, triplets. And, um, and the scene starts out where the, the husband and wife, Jack and Rebecca, they're, they're in the kitchen Kids have already gone off to school, and they're kind of doing their, their morning debriefing, talking about the day. And, and you could just sense that there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of, a lot of weight. Um, Jack's got a lot going on at work, and he's got to figure out how to either go to this work thing or make it to the, to the boys' football games. Um, his wife, Rebecca, she's She's trying to kind of restart her music career, so she's got this audition that she's really nervous about, but she's kind of annoyed that Jack doesn't seem too bothered that she's nervous, and he's not offering kind of the spousal support that she's looking for. And, and you just see all these plates that are spinning, you know, family, marriage, work, just all of these responsibilities. Um, and it's, it's weighty, and you can see their interaction. And then the scene kind of ends where Jack grabs his coffee, his briefcase, and he, he kind of heads out the door, and, and Rebecca just goes, Jack. And he turns around, kind of oblivious, and is like, am I missing something? And she kind of gives him that look, you know, if you're married, you know the look. And he's like, and he, all of a sudden it dawns on him, and he walks back over to her, and he gives her a hug and a kiss goodbye, and then he leaves. And then the next scene is him kind of slouching in his buddy's office at work. And you can, just, you can just see how defeated and deflated and disappointed he is. And he tells his friend, he says, in 15 years, I've, I've never forgotten to kiss my wife. 
goodbye. And there's just disappointment. And he's defeated and he's discouraged. You ever feel like that? You ever kind of get to the end of your rope with, with all the different plates that you have spinning, whether it's family, marriage, whether you're a student and just the responsibilities of, of exams and studying and, and keeping up relationships? Do you, just, do you just get to that place where you are defeated and crushed because of all the different ways in which you don't measure up and you can't keep all the plates spinning? I'd imagine most of us feel like that. And the reason I start off with that is because that's a wonderful window into our passage this morning. If you've been with us, John, in, in the start of chapter 2, he's been giving tests of how you can know that you know that you're a Christian. He's, he's given two tests. There's going to be a third test. But the first two tests that he's given is, do you look like Jesus and do you love like Jesus? Those are the first two tests. And those tests were, were given to be a source of encouragement, to, to be a source of confidence, and to be a source of, of security. But I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I look at my life, I struggle to look like Jesus and to love like Jesus. And here's the amazing thing about what John is doing. You have to remember that John... He's a pastor first, and he knows his people. And because he's a pastor, and because he knows his people, he cares for them. And so our section, if you notice it, if you have a Bible, you'll notice that it, it, the, the text even breaks up because there's this, this strange interruption. It, it feels a bit random, but here's what I want to suggest to you. It's not random because John, as a pastor... He knows the potential for Christians to be discouraged when they know that their life struggles to look like Jesus and to love like Jesus. And so he kind of takes a time out. He gives us an interruption of sorts. It's like this, it's like a halftime benediction in, in a way. To just say, Let's remember a couple of things. And so he's just going to pause. And so before we actually dive into this interruption, this, this benediction of sorts, let's pray and ask God to help us. Our Father in heaven, you know um, all of our hearts. You know all of the things that we have brought into this place the insecurities, uh, the feelings of inadequacies, the, the shame, the guilt, the ways in which we don't look like you, the ways in which we don't love like you, um, the feelings of achievement and, and pride, even the feelings of self-righteousness. You know all of our hearts. And so we're thankful this morning that your word, which is true, is able to actually cut all the way through the heart. And so it's our prayer this morning that as we um, consider this, 
this interruption of sorts, um, that one, we would see no man but Jesus only. Um, and two, that it might be um, an interruption that would encourage us. Um, because that's what we need. And so, um, Lord Jesus, would you send us your Holy Spirit uh, to give us eyes to see and to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The question on the table that I think John is asking is, what do discouraged Christians need to do? And if you notice in our passage, John, he says, I'm writing to you six times. It's this this refrain. And essentially, he says three things twice. He's just repeating himself. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to drill down into our hearts things that we need to remember, things that we often forget, especially when we are discouraged, especially when our lives don't look like Jesus, especially when we don't love like Jesus. He's saying, he's, he's reframing our perspective with this benediction of sorts. And what he's going to do is he's going to remind us of our position, of what is most true of you if you are in Christ Jesus, if you're, if you're resting in him, if you're trusting in him, John's just going to basically go down the list of what is most true for you. And so what I want to do this morning is I, I really just want to look at one thing. I want to look at what our position is. And John essentially says there's three things that discouraged Christians need to remember. These are three things that you do not forget especially when you're discouraged. The first is this. Look down with me at verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. The first thing that we need to remember if we are discouraged and disappointed and just crushed because our lives don't look like Jesus and we don't love like Jesus is that you have to remember that your sins, on account of his name, that is Jesus, are forgiven. That your past, your present, your future sins, all the ways in which you have failed to live up to the standard that Jesus has set, all the ways in which you have failed to love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus, all those things have been forgiven. They are forgiven. They will be forgiven. You have forgiveness. In other words, what John is doing is he's reminding us of the costly love of Jesus Christ. That it took nothing less for Jesus to die for you and for me so that we might obtain forgiveness, that our guilt and shame would be done away with. John's coming says you can't forget That Jesus loves you. And that you have forgiveness. A friend of mine, uh, I was was with a a couple of campus ministers a few weeks ago. um, And one of the campus ministers was telling me a story. And it's a story about um, a fairly well-known kind of celebrity pastor. I know he would, would hate that term. But... 
He's a well-known pastor in the United States, especially in, in maybe some of our circles. And the story was about his son. Um, his son, at, at, at the time of the story, had, was decidedly not a Christian. Um, he, he, he grew up in the church. He grew up hearing the good news. And he was decidedly opposed to the gospel. Uh, he is what you would call someone who was in full-on rebellion against God. And he knew that and he was okay with it. He wasn't searching, he wasn't seeking. Um, and the son, well, he was actually a musician. He had a band and he would tour the United States. And um, my friend told me a story about how uh, the pastor of the son would oftentimes call friends or other pastors in cities where his son's band would be touring and he would call his friends up and say, hey, do you think you could take my son out for dinner after one of the shows? Um, and here's the deal. I'll, give you free, I'll get you free tickets. You can go to the show. Just would you, you know, kind of take him out for dinner. They're, they're on the road. They're, you know, probably not making a lot of money. But it would be just nice if you could take him to dinner. It's on me. So, so my, my friend, was, as he was telling me this, his brother-in-law actually got that phone call. And so he takes this pastor up on his offer. And he goes to his son's show. And afterwards, they go to dinner, and he and his wife are there with, uh, with the son, and they're just kind of talking uh, over dinner, trying to get to know each other. And, and during the conversation, he said, he kind of made a comment. He goes, I, I noticed that most of your songs that you sing, you are mocking and making fun of Christianity. Like, it's, it's not subtle, it's, it's explicit that you just mock Christianity and you make fun of um, the God in whom your dad actually believes and serves. And so he goes, do you mind if I ask you a question? Like I was like, sure. He goes, what do you think about your dad? You know, and you're thinking like, okay, he's making fun of his dad's faith. I'm, I'm kind of curious about what he actually thinks of his dad. And the son never gotten over this. He said, my dad is my hero. He says, no one has ever loved me like my dad. I thought, wow. Here's a guy who is in full-on rebellion against his father's faith and his father's God. And yet, without a shadow of a doubt, even when he's mocking Christianity through song, even he knows without a shadow of a doubt that his dad loves him like no one else. And I thought about that and I realized, John is coming to you and he's saying, little children, do you not know that Jesus loves you? You have forgiveness for all the ways in which you don't look like him and love like him. Little children, on account of his name, you are loved. John says, if you're discouraged, the first thing that is most true about you is that you're forgiven and that you're loved, and you need to remember that. But the second thing is this, and I'm, I'm stealing this expression from from Brian Habig, a, a pastor in our 
denomination. He's, John is coming, he's saying, you're, just, you're not just a forgiven old you, but you are a forgiven new you. Look again down at verses 13b and 14b. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. John comes and he says, you are strong, and you've overcome the evil one because the word of God abides in you. Now, what does he mean when he says the word of God abides in you? Very thankful for uh, Tim Keller's insights, a little nuance here that he kind of brought out. But oftentimes in the New Testament, you'll see this, that where you, you come across the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are often interchangeable. And there's a number of places that you see this. For instance, in, in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and certain things will kind of be manifested if you're filled with the Spirit. You'll, you'll make a melody in your heart to the Lord. You'll sing psalms to one another. You'll give thanksgiving and joy and delight and worship to the Lord. And in the exact parallel passage in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, Paul says that it's the word of Christ that dwells in you and those same things will manifest itself. You'll make a melody in your heart, you'll give thanksgiving. And so you see that the word of Christ and the Holy Spirit are somewhat interchangeable. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. The Word of God is the Word of truth. Therefore, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and it brings forth this truth, this spiritual substance. And, and Jesus in John chapter 3 tells us that it's the Spirit, when he's having the conversation with Nicodemus, it's the Spirit who brings forth life where you're born again because of the work of the Spirit. But Peter tells us in 1 Peter that it's the imperishable seed, the Word of God, that actually brings forth life. And so the reason why John is bringing this up is he's reminding you and me that the very DNA and substance of God abides in you if you are in Christ. Peter tells us that we become partakers of the divine nature. And John's saying the Holy Spirit comes and He abides in you. The third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, comes to live and dwell in you. The reason why you've overcome, the reason why you're strong, it's because a power outside of yourself comes and takes residence in your heart. And John is saying, are you unaware of this? Have you completely forgotten that God lives and dwells within you? Have you completely forgotten the power that is inside of you? I saw a fascinating documentary uh, a couple of weeks ago. It came out a couple years ago, but I watched it a couple months ago called Searching for Sugar Man. If you haven't seen it, I'm about to ruin it for you, so um, I ask for your forgiveness. It's the, it's the documentary about the musician named Rodriguez, and um, 
He was a, uh, a man from Detroit, and he, in some ways, kind of had a Dylan-esque persona. He was a, a talented musician, uh, a, a, just a lyrical genius. But his music never made a big splash here. Um, his music career never really took off. And so he just continued to work construction in Detroit and would every now and then just kind of play these random gigs in a bar to a crowd of like 10 people. Um, and so his music career never took off, but in, in some unbelievable way, a, a record of his made its way over to South Africa. And at the time the record made it there, uh, it spoke to the cultural and political climate of the day and Rodriguez became like this cult hero. Like, unbelievably, like he's probably the most famous musician in all of South Africa. And he didn't know it. But here's the other thing. The South Africans thought that Rodriguez was dead. They had no idea that he was living a life of a construction worker in Detroit, Michigan. And so through a random strange of events, someone gets in touch with Rodriguez to let him know how famous he is in South Africa, and he doesn't believe it until he's invited to come and perform. And he goes and he performs six sold-out concerts in, at a, in a, one of the biggest venues in South Africa. But the strange thing is, for tw over 20 years, the South Africans lived thinking that their hero was dead. And Rodriguez lived literally in poverty, not knowing how famous he was on another continent. And I thought about that story and I realized John is coming to you and he's saying, are you unaware of that the God of the universe who created everything out of nothing has taken up a residence in your heart. That the Spirit of God who hovered over the deep, dark abyss and created order and life out of chaos and nothing, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit, are you unaware that He lives in you? That the very DNA of God has taken up residence and abides in you. John is coming and saying, if you've gotten to the end of your rope where you've tried and tried to overcome something and you're just like, you know, what's the point? I keep failing. I can't change. It's not happening. And you know what John is saying? He's like, You've forgotten that the Holy Spirit who takes people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, He makes them alive, now lives in you. When you say that you can't change and overcome something, you know what you're doing? You're devaluing the work of Jesus on the cross and you're forgetting that the Holy Spirit abides in you. John says you must not forget the word of Christ, the Holy Spirit, he dwells in you. But thirdly, our third position, 
Whoops, I coughed on the wrong side. Sorry. If you were asleep, welcome back. <laughs> Look at 13a and 13c. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you children because you know the Father. John says the third essential truth about your position that you need to remember is this. That God is your Father and He's adopted you to be His own precious child. He says don't ever forget that it was the Father who gave up Jesus in order to adopt you into His family. You know Him as Father. That is what is most true about you this morning. If you are in Christ, you've been adopted, and you know the Father who has no beginning. And who is from the beginning. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Russell Moore. He's a... Professor at uh, Southern Seminary in, in Louisville, Kentucky, and he wrote a book about the adoption that he and his wife had um, when they adopted their son from the former Soviet Union. And um, it's, a, it's a very remarkable story. And I'm just going to read you a, a couple of excerpts from this. But the first couple of trips that they made to this orphanage in, in uh, the former Soviet Union. Um, it was surprising for not the right reasons. He said, we walked in and the staff of the orphanage would take us through the halls and we were on our way to meet our, our future potential son. And he said, it, it wasn't the squalor or the stink that was horrifying. He says, though at times it would make you want to vomit. He says, the horror was the fact that it was so quiet. Listen to what he says. Russell stopped and pulled his wife Maria's elbow. Why is it so quiet? The place is filled with babies. If we listened carefully enough, we could hear babies rocking themselves back and forth, the crib slats gently bumping against the walls. These children did not cry because infants eventually learn to stop crying if no one ever responds to their calls for food, for comfort, or for love. No one ever responded to these children, so they stopped crying. The silence continued as we entered the boys' room. Little Maxim, who's now Benjamin, stood straight at attention, but he did not make a sound. They read books, sang to him, and told them how much they were looking forward to being his parents. But there were no cries, no squeals, no groans. Every day they left at the appointed time in the same way that they had entered, silence. On the last day of the trip, they had to tell their soon-to-be son goodbye, as by law they had to return to the States and wait for the legal paperwork and all of that to be completed before returning back to pick him up for good. After hugging and kissing him, they walked out quietly into the hallway as Maria shook with tears, and that's when they heard it. Little Maxim fell back in his crib and let out a guttural yell. 
it seemed he knew maybe for the first time that he would be heard. And on some level he knew he had someone who cared about him. John's coming to discouraged, disappointed Christians. And he's saying, do you, do you remember that your Father in heaven has adopted you? But he is a Father who always hears our cries for need, for love, and for assurance. Because he is a Father who deeply cares for his children. And that He deeply loves you. And the proof of that is the fact that He gave up His own Son in order to adopt you and me. Those who've been orphaned by their sins. He looks at you and He says, You belong to me. And John's saying, Don't ever be afraid to cry out to your Father because He hears you. You need to remember that you're forgiven. You need to know that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in you. You need to know that the Father has adopted you. So what do we do with this? Let me close with this. Did you notice how John brings to the forefront the work of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the work of God the Father? It's quite remarkable that in this little benediction of sorts, he's highlighting the work of the triune God. In other words, what John is, is calling us to remember to do is to delight in the wonder and work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's inviting us back into fellowship that's the whole point of the letter. So that we may have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that our joy may be complete. John is, is taking a time out and he's saying, remember why you're in the race. It's so that you may delight in and love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to remember that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that He loves and delights in you. So the question is, is, why is it so hard? Well, why do we struggle to look like Jesus and love like Him? And here's the second thing. Who is John addressing in this letter, in this little benediction? Is he, is he actually addressing like literal little children and fathers, like real fathers and young men, and just leaving out women altogether? Is that what he's doing? I don't think it is. What John is doing, and it's actually quite encouraging if you will hear it, is he's saying that the Christian life is just that. It's a life. In other words, the reason why it takes, the reason why we struggle to look like Jesus and love like Jesus is because it takes a long time 
to mature. What John is doing by addressing little children and fathers and and young men is he's saying to you and to me that the Christian life happens over a period of phases, over a period of stages. In other words, it takes a long time. Like sanctification, growing in the likeness of Jesus, it is slow and gradual, but if you are in Christ, it's inevitable. So what do discouraged Christians need to hear? If you're a new Christian here this morning, John's saying, look, don't forget that you have forgiveness, that that belongs in your, like you have that in your possession. So don't be discouraged if you're a new Christian, if you're in your infancy. But if you've been walking with Jesus for a little while, you're now conscious of the fact that it's a struggle, that it's a battle. Like you're aware of conflict. You're aware of the attacks. And he's saying, don't forget that there's a power outside of you that has come to take up residence and it is God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. You are strong. But John says, if you're discouraged because perhaps you're older and you've, you've lived in this fallen and broken world for a long time and the effects have just really beat you down. And you're a seasoned vet. He says, don't be discouraged. Because soon, the day is coming when you will see your father's smile. The good news for us this morning is that our God, he does not ignore our childish ways. And he understands that for us to look like his perfect son, it's going to take a long time. And so he's patient. But the good news is this, that he who began a good work in you, he's the one who will see it through to the end. And so you do not need to leave here discouraged, but encouraged. Because what is most true about you and me this morning is that we have forgiveness through the work of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells within us. And we have a Father who's adopted us. And He's going to complete the work. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this interruption of sorts, this benediction, to remind us of some essential truths about who we are, and about the work that you've done for us. So if we are discouraged or despondent or just in the thick of a fight, um, would these truths find their way uh, deep down um, into the root of our soul? Um, We can't plant them there, so we need your help. So Holy Spirit, would you take these truths? And would you write them upon all of our hearts, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.